Hello and welcome to the second episode of Kicking Cancer Into Touch. My name's Kieran Bracken, former England rugby player, and uh, this story is about my little sister, Louise Bracken-Smith, who was diagnosed with cancer, and she's been fighting cancer for the last few years, and this is just to document her story and talk about the despair, the highs and lows, and her fight to stay alive. So, Louise, we're, we're on the second episode, and we finished the first episode uh, basically with something rather strange when... You had a hornblower, one of your neighbours, a hornblower who came to dispel the evil spirits or something. So I, I know, I know, sort of, you're desperate, Louise. But um, can you just take us through where this started? And yeah, I mean, I'll take, I'll take any, I'll take anything. And um, so I, I, I said, you know, what, what, what's, what's a shifar? And he explained that um, in the biblical times, in the wars of Jericho, they used to blow these horns. Um, for healing purposes and it's a tradition that's been going on for many hundreds of years thousands of years and one in which he has um, become interested in and he's bought his own shafars and they're various different sized um, horns from um, sacred animals and he offered to come and um, blow his horn for me <laughs> was your husband pete happy with the next door neighbor coming to blow his horn for you <laughs> well you know pete just takes everything i say with a pinch of salt now i think because there's there's so there's so many avenues that i'm exploring that i i think he just doesn't really know what what i'm going to say next um so it was with great delight that um the farmer did come and um you know he said a few prayers for me uh, we talked about the world problems and um food being one of the main ones and he's just a, an incredible guy. And, you know, I'm very lucky that he has taken it upon himself to come and, you know, spend some time with me and, yeah, blow his horn for me. That's amazing. Because, that, you know, one thing I remember when we were in London and you were, you were really, really ill. Do you feel like you're being punished? Is that how you still feel? You know, the, the more I read and, I, you know, I'm on a mission to learn as much as possible and spirituality is a big part of that because I just you know when you're told you've got something incurable then you know you have to look within to search for answers and I, and I do feel the answers are all within within my grasp within myself um and I'm on a desperate mission to to, to find that place which is why when everyone asks me how I am I just say digging deep and that, that means you know I'm not just physically digging, digging deep I'm you know internally digging deep um, so back to, you know, do I feel like I'm being punished? You know, there are days where I think, you know, that, well, there, you know, I very much firmly believe we're all here because of the decisions we made and because of the decisions we didn't make. You know, when you read all of the success stories around cancer, the people who've survived um, all seem to have common traits and they are typical types of people, type C type of people. You know, you've got your alphas, you've got your betas. I would have described myself as an alpha female, as it were. But when I read more about it, it's about being one of those people who's a bit of a people pleaser. And I know you probably wouldn't say I am, but I probably have spent a life in an industry, in a profession that maybe wasn't probably what I was best suited to. I did love it. I did develop my own business. But, you know, was I true to myself? Was I living a life true to me? And I, on my search for what I need to change in my life, um, that's definitely a big part of it is um, doing the things I only love rather than things that are expected or I have to do. 
because I thought I thought it might I thought you when you were talking about being punished, I thought it might be because you run a big company with hundred odd people and you've you've had to fire people and you've had highs and lows and all that. I thought maybe she feels like she's she's let someone go she shouldn't she feels bad and this is her comeuppance. But um, let's just talk about work for a second because we've not touched on that and we, you know obviously we'll get into the family life maybe not in this podcast but another one um, with with work. What was that feeling like? And, and and obviously you're the owner of the company with with another owner, Ali. And you know how hard was that breaking that to your partner, um, Ali, who's uh, you know been with you f- from day dot when you set up the company? And and what was that feeling of of you know not working anymore? So take us through that journey. Yeah, and like you said, you know I worked incredibly hard. We formed. Um, some of the entities in Fairway in 2020. So I was there, you know, we celebrated our 20 years together, Alistair and I. And, you know, we were pretty inseparable, um, very much enjoyed the journey because we had each other, used each other as soundboards for whatever was going on in both of our daily lives. Um, I was CEO of the Fairway Group. Alistair was chair and MD of the Bracken Rothwell, which is an accountancy practice. And he was very much looking to you know, extract himself from the fairway team and just focus on Bracken Rothwell because he's, you know, uh, an accountant and just loves to sit in the room with files. Uh, me, on the other hand, just loved the people side and and just loved what I was doing. And that and that was the that was the plan. You know, the five year plan was that was the way I was going and it, that was the way he was going. So, you know, he he won't mind me saying he's one of those people that takes takes up exercise and then you know, goes and cycles up month on two and then comes back and eats cheese for three months and puts on three a stone of weight. Um, and then, you know, he's, he's a very cyclical athlete. I was very much a steady athlete training all the time, looking after what I ate. Um, so it came as a big shock to him and myself that it was me of the two of us that, that actually became ill. Um, and so, you know, he just became like another family member, you know, he really did. And, you know, became very involved in the science of whatever was going on, was interested in my blood results as they came through um, and and basically lived it with the family, um, certainly the first time round. And, you know, we, we decided that we would get a, an interim CEO into the business, which we did, um, which bought us a bit of time, six, six months time. And at which point we, you know, went out and tried to find a replacement for me. Um, we were keen on a female just because, you know, that was, that was the tone. Um, you know, we were pretty female dominant at that time. And yeah, the market's really small in Jersey where, you know, we've, we are restricted as to who we can engage with. And, um, the reality was Ali was doing the CEO role the whole time. So it made sense for him to step in. And, um, you know, I I think it took him the six month period of time to realize that he was the best placed person for the job. So, so yeah, he has been um, CEO ever since, and um, I think I think actually quite enjoying it. He's quite enjoying it. Well, that's nice to hear. But I, I remember you telling me he was absolutely broken when he heard the news. But what was it like for you? Let's just um, let's just go through the insurance and the key man insurance that was required, and I guess really you know the sort of the, how lucky you were to take out that insurance and and what that meant for the business and for you not being able to work and still be paid. Yeah, very fortunate. Um, in 2000, um, Alistair and I were in business with um, two older um, guys at that time and they were very insurance focused and they insured our lives for key man insurance, which means if you get ill, the business gets payout. Uh, critical illness cover, which means if you get an illness, 
you get a payout um, to cover your time off. So we took both of those out and that, you know, they're quite expensive at the time. They're still expensive policies now, but obviously 22 years later when you actually have to call upon them. And, um, you know, I I think we all have had good and bad experiences with insurance, but I think when it really mattered, you know, there was absolutely no question about them, them a paying out a um, critical illness policy to me directly and paying out a key man insurance to the business. So yeah, hats off to them. They were, they were amazing. Um, Obviously then, part of their journey is to is to get me back to work you know their priority is to get me back in and you know not having to be paying me a percentage of my salary because you know it's I'm I'm costing them money um so I think they expected me to be back after six months so they um kept in touch and you know then asked me to connect with what they appoint as an independent party to assess my um assess my medical situation so this was sort of um middle of the year last year and um this was the first time I'd kind of actually spoken to anybody about what had happened and um the very professional lady you know had an hour slot booked in and she started you know asking me all these questions about you know what had happened and I you know I completely broke down in in the call I you know I couldn't believe it it was it was almost like therapy really talking to this lady because I'd obviously not had any therapy during COVID obviously you know I hadn't had access to Macmillan or any of the other um, platforms out there so this was the first time I'd actually spoken to anyone I completely broke down to this insurance lady really surprised her really surprised myself um you know she left the call saying you know you just strike me as one of those people that's never had a day off and you know I don't think you should be rushing back and obviously my what I was saying to her is I you know I don't want to let people down I didn't want to let the business down um and they just then came back with this report of recommendations of all the things I needed to do, therapy being one, and um, lots of other recommendations. So, so to be fair to the insurance company, they 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 have they have been pretty amazing. But they then looped. Obviously, realised time went on, and I still wasn't fit to work, um, get back to a full full capacity. Although I, I did go back to one client, um, and then they had scheduled a call this year to talk to me around May time, um, which was when my scan was and then obviously I got the news the week they wanted to call and you know um they've now got to deal with the situation that I'm in an incurable position and you know you know what do they do I mean you know I'm sure they you know they'd just love it if I if I died really because it, it wouldn't cost them anything but that's a bit brutal but um you know that's that's where we are so so from your point of view, so you've made them aware of where you where you're at at the moment, and uh, well, that's very sad to hear that that from their point of view, it's it's good news if you die because they pay you out and don't pay you for what critical insurance that for the length of time you're alive. So that's right. So this is health insurance now. What we're talking about is that I'm on I'm on permanent sick. So this is another policy. Sorry that the business took out. Also also great, and we we have it for all our employees if they have a permanent health situation that they pay a percentage of the salary so um yeah they've they've been very good as well so but louise you're going to live you're going to live for another 50 years you know you're going to outlive all of us and the the thing is they're going to have to keep paying you i'm afraid but today is an important day um and i know you're probably quite nervous and i can see it in your eyes you're a little bit nervous you've got a scan today haven't you so just tell us Tell us sort of what that scan means and and what it where, where it is in the in the program of treatment. Yeah, this is what they call a mid mid uh, way through your treatment scan, 
and I've had four rounds of the six rounds that I've been scheduled for this period and um, it's a CT scan in Jersey and from this they should be able to determine how well the treatment's working. I've had um, blood tests obviously every time you have the chemo it's always a bit of a nail biter because you have it the day before and you need all your bloods to be reading at a certain level for them be acceptable level for them to actually give you the chemo so it's always a bit of a nail biter because your red blood cells drop your white blood cells drop um but they also do these tumor markers which is the ca125 i mentioned and the cea and they're going in the right direction so i internally feel like the chemo is working i feel like i should expect good results you know if if they're not completely disappeared these these tumours in my abdomen and my neck, then they they should have significantly shrunk. However, um, you know, there's always a, nothing is straightforward. Um, I was eligible to have the um, immunotherapy um, and they've explained to me that this first scan or neck scan could show the tumours inflamed because of the um, immunotherapy working. Um, so not to be too alarmed if the results that I'm kind of expecting, which are to be shrunken or if not, you know, very diminished, are actually enlarged. So, you know, that this is this is why I just wanted to get this podcast out there because it's just all so conflicting and confusing and um yeah, hard to manage. But but on the immune therapy that that you that you thankfully can have and when I, I guess um from our point of view, a few weeks ago when when we heard the cancer come back and they, they were doing a test to see if you are capable of having immune therapy. That was um, a horrific wait for us as a family and for you, I'm sure. But talk us through that. Now, for, first, from our point of view, immune therapy, we kind of understand that you get this therapy which makes your system fight the cancer itself. It recognizes its cancer, it fights it. And it can. you have to have a protein in your cells to be able to do this. And people who don't have the protein cannot have that treatment and then people who do have the protein they can have that treatment so there was a bit of a lottery on this and when the grim reaper said to you okay we have to wait and see once we do tests to see if you are capable of having it she never gave you the odds of what they are now what are the odds of someone having and not having it because it kind of felt to us like oh my god literally we're going to find out this week if she's going to live or die and and actually so what was that like for you and your understanding of that process well just horrendous it was the 9th of june i went um to have the biopsy in my neck which was a pr- pretty unpleasant experience you know in hindsight and reading everything i've read now they say you know don't have biopsies they can spread the cancer so that's a whole other story um and whilst i was in having the biopsy the um surgeon sort of said oh um you can go now and see the consultant but if you want my opinion I can tell you so I sort of did yeah please please tell me what you've seen he said well you know it's definitely cancerous in your neck so obviously that was quite shocking but we went down to see the consultant and I think we just weren't expecting the meeting that we had and like you say you know the only way to describe her was like the grim reaper giving me the news that was just you know absolutely horrendous um you know and her words were this 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 cancer is incurable you know, at one point in the, in the in the meeting, we were saying, "Well, you know, you know, and how long have I got to live? And what 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 should we be doing? And what should we do about diet? And what should we do about you know all these questions that you know how can I how can I live?" And obviously, she didn't have any, and really wanted to move me out of the 
the room and it's just absolutely and utterly devastating he my husband was with me at the time and like he, he was just squeezing my hand harder and harder and we, we it was just absolute disbelief but um amongst all of the terrible news she sort of said you know well you know there's a chance of um some success if if we can get if you can have immunotherapy but what we need to do is to track down your original biopsy and test it so firstly we don't know where it is we don't know if it's in jersey or in the royal marsden then we need to test it and it can take about two weeks so um we left we left there and um i obviously got straight onto jersey and um amazing amazing gynecologist uh, fiona nelson who's looked after me the whole time un- um, unbelievable doctor um got got straight onto it got the samples sorted out got the test done as soon as possible but yeah i mean we left that meeting and we just sat on the road outside the um hospital which is horrendous and like I've got four kids, you know, I've got, I've, I've got to live. This is, this is not happening. I'm not accepting, I'm not accepting this whatsoever, but we were just stuck to the ground, like couldn't talk, couldn't, we just cried and cried and cried. But amongst all of that, I then said to Pete, so are you, um, are you going to go for a blonde or a brunette? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because, oh, brilliant. And then by the end of the afternoon, obviously we were still crying and, you know, making phone calls home to everybody and just, you know, spreading the joy. And, um, and he said, actually, I might, I might, I might go for a redhead. I might. <laughs> so that was that. And by the time we then got on the plane to go home, we were, um, we, he decided that actually he was going to go for a bloke. Then my other brother phoned and he said, I can just see it now. I'm going to be coming to Jersey and, um, enjoying Pete's wedding to a, a redheaded bloke. Um, that's going to be the next phase in this whole chapter, which, uh, you know, we just laughed and it was funny. And um, so, yeah, so then I spent the next two weeks feeling like, oh my God, this could be the last time I do this. This could be the last time I, you know, I mean, I, I can't even, it's, it's so hard to articulate that feeling of, oh my God, I'm not going to see my kids get married. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to be there. So yeah, hard. I remember speaking to Pete about it and he was very kind of shocked and we kept asking, well, how long, how long? And is that still the conversation? Uh, No, I think then um, the Grim Reaper called me and I was on my way to my oncologist in Jersey. And by the way, I wanted to call this podcast, my oncologist ghosted me, but (laughs) (laughs) cancer into touch was, uh, was the, the favoured uh, choice. But anyway, um, we're, we're on our way into the oncologist in Jersey and I get a phone call from the Grim Reaper and um, she tells me all about, oh, just to let you know, you have got cancer in the neck. I was like, yeah, okay, we'd, we'd established that. Yeah, she, she she relayed other statistics and then she said, oh yeah, um, you do have the protein that's, that's required for the um, immunotherapy, to which I was like, you know, jubilation, screaming down the phone, you know, you know, it's just the way these are all, all these calls are pitched. You know, I would have phoned my patient and said, oh my God, I've got amazing news for you. Where are you? Who are you with? Well, you know, this is just the best news. So we had this news in the car. We, we couldn't believe it. We phoned everybody, got to the appointment with our oncologist who sort of said, you know, uh, and we said, we, you know, we burst into the room saying we can have immunotherapy. And she sort of said, why, and why are you sort of so hopeful about that? Oh, Louise, no. So we just went from absolute joy to absolute despair. Everybody just being on a different page. We went on, we went through the whole meeting with her and she said, the, the one thing she did say, which I was quite pleased about, was that, look, your mental attitude 
for this treatment you're about to have is is basically the difference between the survivors and the non-survivors. You've got to you've got to believe it's going to work and you've got to be on side with it. So I think the combination of the good news of the immune therapy going on a spiritual journey there's lots and lots of other things that I'm doing but um I completely changed my mental state of hopelessness which was absolute hopelessness well just got to go with the ride of whatever's ahead of me to one of no way this I'm not accepting this yeah. um, and I know when I phoned you guys and told you the terrible news you were all like you've got to find that place where you were last you've got to find that mental place and I was like how can I find that amongst all of this but I found an amazing meditation lady who came and taught me and Pete how to meditate and I have to say that's probably the one thing that has given me the mental strength or inner strength or something I don't know to feel like this is just a journey I'm going through this is I'm meant to be here and I've got to make some promises to get out the other side I've got to make a difference to get there and I'm going to get through it that's interesting because 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 one of the things is when we heard the news that you could get immune therapy it felt like we'd all won the lottery and we're all like oh brilliant amazing because effectively what it means is that hopefully um with it working that it can fight the cancer going forward in one way or another and it will come back but you you've got the you'll have the ability to have the treatment to fight it and it, hopefully it will be circular and it'll keep going and it will mean that you'll live a long long life that's what, what we're all hoping but just imagining what it would be like if you didn't have the protein because you did meet somebody in your when you have having oxygen therapy who had the same test and uh, came back with uh, negative results saying she wasn't capable of having that treatment and it would have meant basically if you had that treatment it could kill you so she unfortunately um couldn't have it and she died didn't she yeah this is my lovely friend crystal Mange um i had known her years ago she was a coach gave a lot back to the island three young kids beautiful lady french graceful gorgeous lady and i hadn't realized she was ill and the day i was going in um which was the day i was going in to meet the jersey oncologist she was she was outside and she told me she was terminal and it was devastating, but very selfishly, I felt, oh, you know what? I, I, I don't want to be surrounded by people who are dying. I want to be surrounded by people who are planning to live. You know, that sounds terrible. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? So I kind of saw her. We exchanged contact numbers because we hadn't spoken for a while. I went in and had my consultation. And then when I went for my very first chemo, um, she kind of uh, rocked in Um and was like, oh, let's sit together. So we did. We managed to sit together. And I was so grateful that I got to spend the time I got with her. She was just full of information. And, um, you know, she sat there with her lap. She was working while having her chemo. I mean, who does that? I mean, amazing lady. Did you try and pay for her treatment or something? Well, she, I was, I had, of, I had at this point um, discovered um, a lot of other information that I wanted to to share with her so um one significant book which I'll, I'll tell you about but um I was sharing all this information about her look it's not too late no matter how far you think you are there's all of these amazing stories there's radical remissions happening everywhere um there are incredible people out there who can help you let's let, let's just get on this journey together so um I pointed in the direction of the book so she was beginning to do all this research herself 
you know, her, she was sort of saying, you know, thank you for giving me this hope. She was, had started the oxygen therapy and, um, yeah, look, she was doing everything that I'm doing. And, um, I then introduced her to a lady in London, um, quantum, quantum clinic, who's a functional doctor, functional medicine doctor who has dedicated her life to cancer patients come from the medical field, but basically treating patients to heal the entire body, not as the medicine as we know it, which is let's go and have some chemo. Hopefully it'll work. Sometimes it will, sometimes it won't. So she, she had said that she couldn't afford that. So I was, I was off, I had paid for her to go to that, but unfortunately it was all just too little too late well you just wanted to help well I, ju- I just felt that the um the lady whose book i'd read which is um pretty significant this jay mcclelland lady in guernsey had the same type of cancer as me in the 1990s and it had come and gone a couple of times she had first of all just relied on the medical profession like i did last time asked no questions just went along with it took the treatment skipped up back on in life and expected to just never deal with it again. And that wasn't the case for her. And she decided that she was going to go into the science of the cancer, why it grows, how it grows. And she just made incredible discoveries. And she she found doctors herself to prescribe her drugs, which are for other illnesses. And she took a concoction of these and basically is still telling the tale 30, 40 years later. So she's got a Facebook group page and there are hundreds of thousands of people who are, you know, have been told they're terminal, told they're incurable, told, you know, forget it and have lived and have, you know, used her protocol. So I was given this book by three or four different people. I was meant to read it. Um, She also does an online program, which is, you know, can educate even myself who's got no medical knowledge whatsoever um into understanding why you so she gave me the explanation of why i've now got it back because her in her book she explains that you've got these stem cells which are very slow growing cancer cells which wouldn't show on a pet scan or an mri scan of which i had them in august and in december and i was skipping on with my life because i didn't have it anymore but i didn't realize that i did have it but microscopically so the other reason of this podcast is just to sort of try and get it out there of people who have gone through treatment that really they must think about all these other things that they need to be doing because it can prevent it coming back. Uh, it can prevent it in the first place. It can prevent it coming back. And I just wish I knew then what I know now. You you were very lucky to have the immune therapy, obviously, and and I'm very sad to hear to, to hear the loss of her and a good friend but we're, we're coming to the end of this podcast and, and and i think the next one should revolve around the the treatment that um you know the alternative treatment when i say alternative the sort of other ways to fight cancer that you are exploring you are looking at we've got all sorts of things vitamin c injection or, or transfusions we've got um just rem- remind me of all the different things that you're doing which is hopefully going to coincide with the immune therapy and the chemotherapy to help you get better yeah i mean jane mcclelland her book is about attacking cancer from every single angle so diet is a big factor um there is all the complementary therapies like oxygen therapy yeah like the vitamin c and mistletoe therapy like oncothermia right um a heat therapy then there's all the spiritual side um there's all there's breathing there's meditation 
Um, you know, I've done a Wim Hof course, um, taking cold showers every day. Um, there's a whole gamut of other things that I'm doing that are, I feel are, you know, instrumental in um, hopefully helping my body heal, which is, you know, the journey I'm on. We'll talk about those treatments in our next podcast. I just want to finish off this one with a bit of light entertainment because, um, you know, one, one of the things you were obviously worried about was losing your hair. And actually, you look you look pretty cool with uh, with your shaved head. I think it looks pretty cool. <laughs> um, but I would just want to just like, so so obviously I think when, you know, second time round, that's from your point of view, it I think was probably the hardest to take was that, you know, you had the high of being in remission and having scans and feeling great. And then you had the massive low, which is probably a much more come down from the first diagnosis because you've you spent a long time thinking the cancer is gone and you can enjoy your life with your family and kids and then it coming back. But just one of the things I remember this time round, you didn't lose your hair first time round. This time round, you know, you, you have lost your hair. You were worried about that. But as a teaser for our next podcast, and we'll open up with that in the next podcast, is, yeah, just tell us that sort of like a, a tiny little synopsis of your uh, your dealings with trying to get a wig and, and, and let's say, look, cancer free so that so that your youngest georgie wasn't embarrassed by you yeah i've got i've got a hat wig um which i'll show you um it's better than it was before louise you look amazing <laughs> actually it's a bit like you know like uh harry enfield when it's like kevin you know where he's got that cap with the hit kevin oh, and perry oh, yes kevin and perry you're like you're like kevin and perry it's like, it's like oh it's so funny yeah the the saga of the hair has been quite hilarious um but i was very grateful that chris i was i booked to get my hair shaved off thinking that's the first thing that you do when it's probably the last thing you do and um, i booked a hair appointment and there was a whole hilarious story about that which i can share with you next time but the long and the short of it was that um, i met another lady in oxygen therapy who um, had no symptoms of her chemo whatsoever and she told me all about the um getting a wig in england which i then decided to go and do. Um, meanwhile, my hair was very long and I had decided I was going to give it to the Princess Trust who give free wigs to um, children under 18 who've lost their hair. So it was all about the timing, really. When I, when was I going to cut my hair? Um, when was great best time for the kids? Because obviously it's quite shocking. You know, my son was turning 18. He was having a party. So I kept booking the hairdresser and then thinking, actually, today's not a good day. Um, I had then booked it the week after and she had to cancel because um, she had to pick her children up. But I, I then booked a, a spa appointment to go to and have, have a, an Indian head massage of all things. And um, the poor lady, my hair was literally coming out in her hands. But it's like shedding. It's like being an animal. You know, your hair just literally falls out and it's on your computer screen it's on your phone it's everywhere you look it's like you're just covered in hair and you can't you can't stop it so it's in your bed when you wake up and um there's just you know if you brush your hair it falls out if you put mascara on where you've got no eyelashes you know it's 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 an absolute minefield and no one really prepares you for this oh, welcome to my world louise i mean come on yeah <laughs> i want you to feel sorry for me <laughs> But yeah, I mean, for a woman, it must have been very hard. But I guess, uh, you know, we'll save it for next time, the actual fitting of the wig and all of those things. And then your, your little daughter's reaction to it. And, um, and and I would like to touch on, you know, the family aspect of it all. You've got four kids, four beautiful kids um, who were all on the journey with you. And um, 
and we talk about Pete and the treatments you're on. And uh, but I think this 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 has been sort of very therapeutic for me just to talk about it and get it out in the open. And hopefully, people will listen to what you're saying. And there's hope even when it doesn't feel like hope. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Kim. Good luck in your scan today, all right? Thank you. Thanks very much. And and till the next one. Till the next one. Love you, Lou. Bye-bye. Love you.